When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Go back to your Thursday afternoon, Buckeye Talk, Doug Lee Murray's Day Fair, Stephen Beans. We just watched the second day of Ohio State football practice. We were in there at 8.30 on Thursday morning. We watched four periods, about 20 minutes of stuff. And then afterward, we talked to offensive coordinator, receivers coach Brian Hartline, and 12 players because they are off for spring break next week. So Jerry Emig and the SID staff gave us a boatload of dudes to talk to. Marvin Harrison Jr., all the second-year receivers, Xavier Johnson, and then a bunch of linebackers, the guys who aren't hurt, Steel Chambers, Reed Carrico, Gabe Powers, CJ Hicks, guys like that. So we're not going to do all that right now. We're going to drop a receiver pod Friday morning for you guys. But we want to focus off the bat here on Brian Hartline, not receivers coach, but Brian Hartline, offensive coordinator. And Nathan, when we walked in, there was a big group of offensive players, linemen, running backs, a whole lot of guys gathered around. Brian Hartline, giving a little whatever, speech, talk, send-off at the end of practice. And immediately it was like, yep, that's new. That is something Brian Hartline never would have done before. And I thought it was a nice little illustration of this new era of Ohio State football because it really is a new era. No, definitely. And we saw it during the practice window that we had Thursday morning as well where we were sort of, you know, we had four periods. And I thought there was a time where he was sort of over – more kind of hanging around the quarterback area. And then consequently, Ryan Day was not over at the quarterback area. Ryan Day was now floating around a little bit more. And that was sort of the point of all this, right? It's not just Brian Hartline's brain and how they want to use it. It's also where they want to allow, how they want to allow Ryan Day to be a head coach in this system now. So yeah, you just two games, or sorry, two practices into the spring, we're already starting to see some of those subtle, not so subtle changes as to how this is going to look. It's the evolution of a coach, Stephen. I mean, this is this is a big deal for Ohio State. That's why I want us to focus a whole podcast on this now that we've been able to talk to Brian Hartline about it and get our eyeballs on it. But it's also a big deal for Brian Hartline. Like, his job really changed. It's like, hey, hey, honey, I'm going into work. What do you think you'll do today? I think I'll probably, at the end of practice, give a speech to the whole offense. That wasn't his world at any other point in his life. And I don't want to make – well, no, I'm not going to apologize. We do want to make a lot of it, Stephen. It's clear, like this is this is not lip service. This is Brian Hartline starting the new the new era of his coaching life. Yeah, he has to care about everything else just as much as he cares about his own receiver room. Which I, I mean, maybe that's a little bit e- easier to do when you've got basically your entire starting receiver course coming back, even if two of them are limited in spring this year. But do, they, you've got some leaders there, so maybe that gives you a little bit more comfort to do that. But he didn't necessarily, you know, roam around to other. Sp- places today when I was watching the 
the offense on Thursday. But when I was doing the backwards walk on the way out and they did go into more of a team period thing, it looked like he was the voice that was the loudest. And he looked like he was the guy everybody was turning to while Ryan Day was maybe more in CEO mode, just kind of overseeing everything there. So you're seeing it. And obviously we don't get to see the entire practice, but I would assume that that's how it is when they do get into some of these team periods, Ryan Hartline has the loudest voice right now because as Ryan Day said, they're trying to figure out whether or not this works or not. So they're giving him as much opportunity as possible to find his voice as the offensive coordinator this spring. And this was something that was discussed after the first practice on Tuesday, Nathan, where Ryan Day was like, people were saying like, hey, you were roaming. He was like, yeah, I was roaming early. And then by the end of practice, I found myself hanging out with the quarterbacks because I kind of couldn't help myself. But Brian Hartline and Ryan Day, are, I have to figure out this dance together. And it's just different because we never, I don't know that we ever, if you had a group of defensive players in a huddle at the end of practice, I don't know in my life here covering Ohio State that I ever would have expected the head coach to be in the midst of that huddle. Not Jim Tressel, not a defensive guy. Maybe Luke for a year. Maybe Luke Fickle would have been. Not Urban Meyer, not a defensive guy. Not Ryan Day, not a defensive guy. You would have expected the defensive coordinator in all those situations to be the guy in the midst of that. Jim Knowles has the whole defense around him. Of course, Kerry Combs, Chris Ash, Jim Haycock. Yeah, that's how that works. But it would have made up until this, Nathan, Ryan Day's been a head coach for four years. And if there was a bunch of offensive guys in a huddle at the end of practice, you would have expected Ryan Day to be in the midst of that. And that's, it's just evening it out a little bit, right? They should be able to do this. And then, I don't know, I almost look forward to the day when Ryan Day is in the middle of a defensive huddle. There's 40 defensive guys and Ryan Day's in the middle. Why? Because he's the head coach of the whole team. So I think it's not just, you know, they're not put on a show for us, but I just thought the op- the optics, that hit home with me of like, that's Heartline's group. Why is that Heartline's group? Because he's the offensive coordinator. So and I think it's good for Ryan Day to be a little more removed from that. And so I think Ryan Day is going to have to make himself be removed. I think Ryan Heartline's going to have to make himself be involved with it. But but when we divided up the interviews, guys, and again, inside, just for you guys listening to understand it, Four tables, four long card tables out on the field at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center after practice. People sitting at all the tables. We drop recorders at all the tables to make sure we get all the sound. But then we try not to duplicate where we are. Nathan's at one spot. Steven's at one spot. I'm at one spot. So, Nathan, you were at Brian Hartline the whole time, right? Did he feel like offensive coordinator Brian Hartline? Or did he feel like receivers coach Brian Hartline, who has a little bit of extra stuff to do? Oh, I wouldn't. It's it's in between those. It, it's it's still a transition that's happening, right? Like we're asking him about greater offensive things and and having some input into the quarterback decision. Although he you know said he defers that mostly to to Day and Corey Dennis, obviously, and and some of the greater things, the larger sphere of the offense. But obviously, still obviously a lot of wide receiver talk with him because th- that's an interesting group. And especially with those young guys that we haven't gotten to see, we wanted to, to learn some things about them. But it, just in general, I I, th- I think it's still best. The best way to say it is that it's it's still something in transition, and that makes sense because it was just 
January when they December when they were you know December they were talking about it. January they did it, and it's only the first week of March now. So this is something that is going to accelerate. I think throughout the spring, the way Ryan Day had talked about it, that when they got into competitive situations, they would try to give him situations to call the offense, let him kind of get his feet wet with that. I think it's just something that's going to be a process because he's never done it before. It's not someone who can take his previous coordinator experience and apply it to what he's doing right now. So let's apply this offensive coordinator discussion to the quarterback battle, Stephen, because that's where all the eyeballs are. There have been times when the quarterback battles have been a little goofy around here, as we have covered many times in the past. There's been numerous times where they maybe kind of didn't pick the right guy. I thought it was a huge problem in 2015 when they were trying to figure out JT Barrett and Cardale Jones, that Tom Herman was gone and Tim Beck was in as the new quarterbacks coach. And Tim Beck, the first time we talked to him, basically was like, I don't know. It's not my deal. I just got here. I'm not picking, I'm not picking the starter in my own room. And I was like, oh no. And I was right. Tim Beck. He's the head coach somewhere now. Where's he the head coach? He's the head coach of Coastal Carolina. I'm sure they'll go 15 and 0, and we can have him on the pod. Good luck to Tim Beck. I think, Stephen, this idea, okay, so who's picking the quarterback this time? Wide open. Well, Ryan Day, he's not the quarterback's coach. He shouldn't be. He's very involved there. We know that. But he's overseeing it. I like Ryan Day being in charge of that. Brian Hartline, give that guy some voice in this, right? He's not just overlooking a Marvin Harrison Jr. He's figuring out some big picture stuff. And, And Nathan, he got asked about, hey, how about your receiver perspective? being brought into helping decide who the quarterback should be. Like it. Todd Fitch, offensive analyst, been around forever now. Used to work with Ryan Day, very experienced guy. He's only an analyst here. I think he has a loud voice. Really good. And lots of people saying good stuff about Corey Dennis. Steven, I, part of what I, I think I feel good about, and again, Shahan J. Haraja and I talked about this on one of the Survivor shows, college football Survivor shows this week, about the quarterback battles in college football. Alabama's doing it with a new offensive coordinator. George is doing it with an internal hired offensive coordinator, but Todd Monken's gone. Part of the uncertainty at Bama and Georgia is picking new guys, and it's new people picking new guys. I like the process that is in place here to pick this guy, and I I, I like, Stephen, that Brian Hartline certainly has a role in that, but he doesn't have to do it. It's not his choice, Ryan Day's choice, but Brian Hartline certainly needs to and will have a voice in that discussion. Yeah, which is, I think that's the one element of this that I don't think changes much from the last time they had to make this decision, where it was Ryan Day's choice at the end of the day, right? But Corey Dennis is going to have some in, some input because he's the guy actually in the room with them on a day-to-day basis. Brian Hartline's going to have some input because he's the wide receivers coach. They're probably going to listen to to it some extent what Todd Fitz has to say because he is a veteran assistant coach in college football, even if he is at an analyst level. And quite frankly, just because of how the rules are set up, he probably spends more time than these players than the actual assistant coaches do. So so the people you just take away Kevin Wilson because he's no longer here and you insert Keenan Bailey and then you maybe sprinkle in a little bit of what Tony Offer has to say as a running backs coach. The, the, the elements of how you come about choosing your starting quarterback don't change. It's just the weight of Brian Hartline's voice is maybe a little bit heavier because he's the one who potentially is calling plays. But the the actual people involved didn't change much, which makes this just do what we did last time, except you might just take what Brian Hartline has to say a little bit more into consideration than everybody else. Brian Hartline's kind of a no BS kind of guy. Yeah. And I, I like the no BS part of it because, Nathan, one of the quotes, you were there the whole time I listened back to it and wrote down some things that Brian Hartline said. 
about the quarterback competition, he said basically he thinks long competitions are good because there's a high demand, there's more stress, and you get a better outcome. Mm-hmm. So I think you could have people say, hey, we, we want to get it settled. We want the team to know who it is. We want the quarterback to know who it is. And Brian Harlan's, what do you mean? We pick up the day before the season starts. You don't want to be in the how can how can being in a competition competition not make everybody better? That's like classic Brian Hartline to me. And I sort of like that idea of things being introduced, Nathan, into this discussion. Yeah, I to be fair, he didn't say go all the way to opening day. I think he probably is familiar with no, 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 twenty fifteen. Yeah. There's a middle ground that's that's the, the sweet spot there. But I, I thought he made good points about I don't think you you shouldn't be making a choice by an arbitrary deadline. There's no reason to to rush it. And I, I think he makes good points. We've said all along, this isn't just the process of finding a starting quarterback. It's the process of making both of these guys better, trying to maximize both of these guys because you don't know when you're going to need your number two quarterback. And you need that guy to be starting caliber option. This, you know, the, this team wants to win a national championship and you can't have the number two option be uh, some of the number two options they've had here, frankly, for the past few years, and still expect to compete for that. So it's it's. I thought it was a valid point. He talked a lot about perspective. At, you know that right now, at this juncture, especially, you know, he came from this very an NFL player background that right nobody else on this staff has that, like to be that level of NFL player for that long. There, you know, he came. He has a younger perspective than some of the other like more established coaches on this staff is a little bit, I don't know. Is he younger even than Ryan day? Right. Probably by a little bit. Yeah. I think so. So, so, you know, uh, not as young as Corey Dennis, not as young as, as Keenan Bailey, but, uh, but, but still like of the guys who have that kind of gravitas, he still has like the kind of a younger connection. And I think the other thing, like when, when he goes and stands now in front of that whole offense, as you were talking about before, you know, he has bought a lot of credibility just from his interactions with, I think everybody over the, over time, but what he's done with that room, like if you're a running back now, if you're a tight end, if you're any position, an offensive lineman, you're probably listening to what Brian Hartland has to say to some extent, because you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. And I think his, his, that motivational side for him has, has been part of it. Like why, you know, mentally, emotionally, whatever um, the guys in his room excel. So can he take that and now transition that to the message that he's sending to the whole offense? And I do think the receiver perspective as an offensive coordinator is different here. Now, Corey Dennis was a receiver in college at Georgia Tech in a triple option offense. He just blocked the whole time. But Kevin Wilson was an offensive line guy who then also coached quarterbacks, but he wasn't a receiver guy. Ryan Day is a quarterback guy through and through. There are not, I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, you know who was a receiver guy? Urban Meyer. There are not a ton off the top of my head of like, receiver guys who become coordinators, right? Bobby Engram was brought in as Wisconsin's offensive coordinator last year for a one-year thing. Didn't work. Coach got fired. I think Joe but Brady was that at LSU when he was there in 2019. Joe Brady's a receiver guy? Yeah, yeah I think he was a receiver's coach as okay. well. So so I like that introduction of the perspective as well. That again, I, I just think, and there's something that Brian Hartline, when it was asked, hey, like, what do you think of the offense? What do you think you can help? There was a particular thing that he said that I then looked some things up, and we'll talk about that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, so the thing, I can't remember the next phrasing of the question, but it was sort of like, hey, what do you think you can get better at? And Stephen, like the thing he said, he said something about don't hit a lull. So I didn't really understand what exactly that meant. 
but he talked about explosive plays, Stephen. And I have a stat on explosive plays that I want to talk about. But that Brian Hartline went right there felt to me like a receiver's coach going there. So like, man, we probably need to get the ball down the field a bit more. No, listen, they're very good at it. But that's a little bit in contrast because every now and then we know with Ryan Day, Ryan Day can be like, ah, let's just throw it out of bounds. Not on third and six, but like that's the whole thing. Ryan Day, again, if I've learned anything about Ryan Day and his time at Ohio State, is that he really does not want to make disastrous mistakes. And I don't think Brian Hartline is coming in with his initial thoughts, Stephen, like, you know what? Let's not make disastrous mistakes. I think he's like, man, I don't know. these. I, I'll love it. I can tell you how good these receivers are. Let's go. That's perspective, Stephen, and I think it might help this offense. Yeah, it's definitely coming from the place of the receiver who's like, I'm open, throw me the ball, even though the cornerback's right behind him and still in coverage on him, while the quarterback sees it from the perspective of, if I throw you this ball, it's going to get picked off, which I think you need. I think you do kind of need that push and pull a little bit because it helps with aggressiveness. I think Brian Hartline's going to learn that because there's probably going to be some times in these scrimmages where in where Brian Hartline's going to dial up something to be aggressive and it's going to backfire. And he's going to learn from that. Maybe I shouldn't have been aggressive in that situation. But there's also going to be other situations where maybe this past season where we were wondering why Ohio State wasn't being more aggressive and settled on the bubble screens where Brian Hartline's not going to double up the Brian dial up the doubles the bubble screen he's going to dial up a play action pass and it's going to lead to a touchdown so I, I do think the perspective is interesting because you're going from a quarterback both by trade and by what he coaches calling your plays to a wide receiver both by trade and what he coaches calling your plays and seeing him learn kind of that balance of when to be aggressive and when to not be aggressive and what does that mean on game day when you're playing against Michigan on second and four so it's not like this team has a, an explosive play problem. But looking at the stats, last year, I guess it depends what an explosive play is. So I defined explosive plays two different ways. One is I looked at plays, not just pass plays, overall offensive plays of 30 yards or more. This is all at cfbstats.com. 30 yards or more. Ohio State had 42 last year. That was fifth in the nation. They actually had 42 in 2021, and it was also fifth in the nation. And they also had 42 in 2019. Pretty remarkable. 2020, you throw out because you can't compare stats because people played so many different numbers of games. So the last three full seasons, they've had 42 offensive plays of 30 yards or more. That was fifth, fifth, and 10th in the nation. Now you ratchet it up, Nathan, to a little more explosive. I went 50 yards or more. 50 yards or more in 2019, they had 15 plays. That was sixth in the nation. 2021, they had 18 plays of 50 yards or more. That was first in the nation. Last year, they had eight, and that was tied for 34th in the nation. So they had the same number of 30-plus yard plays from 21 to 22. They had half as many 50-yard-plus plays. And I think we felt this during the year. We felt the reduction in play-action deep shots. They weren't doing that as much. It felt like teams were trying to take that away. I think part of it was nobody respected their run game at some point. And so you could put more as like, hey, we're not getting beat over the top by these guys. Let them run on us, right? Also, they weren't worried about CJ running the ball, right? So like, hey, let's drop everybody, make sure we don't get beat deep. Although then sometimes you ask them about it. They're like, no, nah, we don't see the coverage any differently. But those are facts, Nathan. I think they need to get back to 18 plays of 50 yards or more, not eight. And it's not one thing. 
But if Brian Hartline is in there and, hey, like, regardless of the coverage, we can't let people take this away from us. We can't. We have to do this because it's going to pay off. He brought it up, Nathan. He brought up explosive plays very early in, hey, what can be different? And the proofs and the numbers. You look at last year and how that offense was made up compared to um, what they had in 2019, where you had just such a balance between the Fields Dobbins side of things and the receiver side of things. And in even 2021, that running game was, I know we talked about the short yardage problems they had, but but Trevor Henderson had a much better season. There was there was maybe still even more balance there. And last year, I think you could almost pigeonhole them into more of a a pocket passing team first and foremost in a way that didn't have that same balance the way they wanted. So you you know you bring up like things like the 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 bubble screens and stuff. You know now you've got an offensive coordinator. And it's not like he didn't care before and wasn't pointing it out before because I remember talking to him after the Penn State game about just kind of the. Um, the terrible blocking that was coming from the receivers last year on those. But like now it's going to be, I think even more emphasized, like you can show those guys, Hey, like I'm trying to call this offense and uh, the butchery that's happening out here on these blocks is keeping us from running the offense that we need to run. Um, it's just, again, it, it's, it's a new perspective. Your perspective shifts a little bit. He brings a new perspective. And now this job maybe brings him a new perspective into um, just how to coach this. One thing, though, to bring into perspective with some of that stuff as well is uh, who didn't they have this past year that they had the past three years when they were a little bit more explosive down the field? Chris Olave. Uh, Julian Fleming is fast. He's not Chris Olave fast in the way that takes the top off the defense, a guy who can, you know, get past two safeties anyway. It doesn't matter if the coverage is good. So maybe that plays a role into it, too, is these this personnel of receivers isn't explosive in a 40 yards down the field type of way, but they routinely are, you know, in the 30 is in 20 yard pass types of way, just because of what Marvin Harrison is and what a Mecca book is and what Julian Fleming is. But I think they got to try more. I, I, yeah. I also think I agree. Chris Olave is awesome. I think they need to try more than they did last year. I think they got away from it too much because they were giving into the fact of how defenses were playing them. And the fact that, you know, I mean, we, we saw it at times, from Julian, he can go get it. Mm-hmm. So I do. Th- I think it's an interesting conversation, I, I, right? Nathan didn't Hartline use the word "lull" or something right at the beginning of that answer about like what we can do better. Did, what, did you t- get a read on that? I, I I I don't remember that specific phrase. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's like one of those things. It's like, how can you improve what everybody acknowledges is the best offense in college football? It's like, okay, what? and again, this is this is like Brian Hartline saying. You know, he's saying Ryan Day is elite at this. We don't want him to get too far away from the offense. You know, I think Nathan, was it you who asked Brian Hartline about? Did you like? Are you trying to learn from other coordinators? And he's like, I got Ryan Day thirty feet away. What do you want me to do? I interrupted my own question to say, like, I know you've got a pretty good one here, but and then he did. But then he did say, like, hey, yeah, I know some people. I was in the NFL for a while. I've been, you know, so he's reached out to some people. There've been some things he's bounced off of people. But I, you know, as we talked about at the time, this is still he's going to be coordinating Ryan Day's offense, Ryan Day's playbook. He's not in there uh, drawing up a bunch of stuff and 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 Xerox in it. He even said that I'm not a well, he said I'm not a doodler. That's just not who I am. So we're gonna that's where we're gonna finish. That's where we're gonna finish because I found that to be a super important point to bring up. So we'll wrap it up on Buckeye Talk next after this. So Brian Hartline in talking about that said, I'm not the type to draw up thousands of plays, right? And you know who is? Ryan Day. <laughs> <laughs> like literally the first thing I wrote about Ryan Day as an offensive mind here was like Ryan Day drawing stuff on napkins. 
Go ahead. Well, and, and, and more to your point, so is so is Fitch, so is Keenan Bailey. Like those guys are all kind of from that wavelength. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Day said, I have more of a simplistic mind. So that means one of two things, right? This could be an ideal marriage of a doodler and a guy. And again, go back and read the story I wrote right before the semifinal was played about sitting in with the coaches in the offensive meeting room. It's floor to ceiling filled with every group of plays, every every possible scheme, every possible philosophical way of attacking a defense, and it's all from Ryan Day. And so, I, Nathan, I do think the idea of here's Ryan Day, and then what Ryan Day does when he's the offensive coordinator is we have all this stuff, and each week we go through and pluck out the stuff. We pull the magnet, this grouping of plays, this formation, this is what we want to do to attack this defense in this situation with what's working well for us. They don't bring the whole playbook every week, but it's all there. I think maybe, Nathan, a guy who loves to create an offense like that, a doodler, and then a, quote, simplistic mind who is really good at boiling that down, make sure you don't get too far you know, away from your basics, that kind of thing, could really work. Right, Nathan? That Brian Hartline running Ryan Day's offense could be really, really good. Yeah, I think they, they could strike a, a balance a balance between the guy who maybe has everything going on in his head at one time and trying to whittle that down. And uh, the, the guy who maybe just has a more direct focus of, of what needs to, you know, what he's looking for on a, on a play to play. Cause you're not thinking about all of the possibilities and all of the, the things that you've probably imagined before. It's, I think it can be a, a, a more like, just like a more direct uh, A to B kind of thing. So um, I'm open to that. Uh, I think I, I assume that over the course of this for him too, that curiosity is going to grow that intellectually that's going to expand on him a little bit too. And he's going to be a little bit more versed in it. But again, it's just a reminder that he isn't coming to this the way Ryan day did. He didn't come to this the way Kevin Wilson did. Kevin Wilson was a long time offensive coordinator. And to some extent, not even the way that uh, the Keenan Bailey's of the world have come to it, who have been maybe more, I, I say this with all due respect and affection, like scheme nerds, like guys, like he was talking about being locked in his apartment during the pandemic with a whiteboard and him and his, his roommate um, just just doing scheme on the whiteboards and wiping it clean and doing more and like trading ideas and stuff like that doesn't seem like the way Brian Hartline's ever really been wired. So they have plenty of that in this system. But then what does he do from a decision making standpoint that like synthesizes that? I think the best place you see it show up is. Part of the reason why you take the play calling away from Ryan Day is because then you give him more time to literally do anything else. One of those literally do anything else things he can do is doodle more because maybe you have more time to think of stuff like that because you're not worried about putting solidifying a game plan because you're giving those responsibilities to Brian, Brian Hartline. So it's, it's like you said, he's running Ryan Day's offense. Ryan Day can now add to the offense if he wants, because he, if he has time to do that during the week now, because he's not spending that extra three and a half hours a week trying to devise a game plan because Brian Hartline is doing that instead. But I also think, I mean, he's so, still going to be on the headset too. I also think it allows Ryan Day to be thinking five, six, seven plays ahead based on what he's seeing rather than having to call the play in the moment on second and five. So Brian Hartline used, said it's like Madden. Kind of. I'm like, hey, you get to come in and call the plays. Because, like, guess what the deal is in Madden? They draw, they have the plays for you. Yeah. When you call a play in Madden, they don't say, okay, 
here's 11 guys, do whatever you want with them. It's like, okay, you want to run this little tight end rollout play or you want to run this waggle or whatever, and then you pick it. So that makes Ryan Day Madden. And Brian Hartline's the teenager with the controller. That could be great. Or it could be (laughs) Ryan Day's like, here's all this stuff. Because you know who Ryan Day does love? Ryan Day loves Brian Hartline. You know who Ryan Day loves? Keenan Bailey. Because Keenan Bailey's a scheme nerd. And guess what Ryan Day is? A scheme nerd. Love it. And Brian Hartline, if Brian Hartline's like, oh, man, I like these four plays. Ryan Day's like, but I have 9,000 of them. Brian Hartline's like, man, these four really work. <laughs> that's not Madden. I don't know. That's how, that's that's how Madden, Madden works, too. No, no, no. <laughs> no. That's, that's not Madden. So, that's, that's Tech Mobile. Tech Mobile, you had so, two runs like, and two I don't. I don't only want to. I don't only want to imagine it as the perfect symbiosis between these two sort of different, not I didn't, not opposite, not opposing, certainly not opposing, just different maybe ideas of looking at this. Nathan, it also I I, I don't know. It might be like Ryan Day on Sunday is like, man, we sure had a lot of stuff that we practiced that you didn't call. <laughs> I don't know, Nathan. Like I wonder because again. Do you bring out the best of each other by coming at it from different perspectives? Or do you grind against each other and sort of your two ships passing in the night because you come at it from different perspectives? Well, I think there's less danger of that because Brian Hartline's been in that room now for a few years. He's been in those offensive meetings. He's not someone – this isn't like you were trying to hire a somebody from outside the program to come in and this be their big step up. Like it's it's someone who – has been involved in this process. So he already knows how they weed through those plays every week with that chart you wrote about and come up with the game plan together and how that it's Ryan, Brian Hartline just has to go do an impression of, of Ryan day to some extent. Now that's not easy to do because Ryan day thinks it through at a different level, because like you said, those are his plays, but I think he's also seen how that gets executed He's, he's been standing there next to him on the field while that stuff gets executed. He's in the meeting rooms with him when it's when it's come up with and, and formulated. So I, I don't think that's as much of a danger right off right out front for me. I do think though we do need we do need to keep in mind that like this is all theoretical. Nobody was talking about a problem with the defensive coordinator decision in twenty twenty one until games started being played, or twenty twenty, I should say. Um so and the circumstances are similar like a beloved assistant coach getting a promotion, first time coordinator. Now Combs is a lot older, had to come back in from outside the program, but like there are similarities there. And I think until you actually see it executed, it's different, but we should, we should, you know, have the right perspective on that and be somewhat hesitant in declaring it a success. But the other big difference there is Kerry Combs didn't have a Ryan day of defense to back him up. Brian Hartline will. I think that's a good comparison. It also makes me think, Stephen, and this is just based on the way Brian Brian Hartline talked for half an hour. So thank you, Mm -hmm. Brian Hartline, for that. This is based on the way Brian Hartline talked for half an hour. For a coordinator to say, I have more of a simplistic mind. Like, would anyone say that, like, Jim Knowles has a simplistic mind? Jim Knowles' whole thing is he's a mad scientist, right? So it's not a bad thing. It's a different thing. It does make me wonder, Stephen, if Brian Hartline had been hired to go be the offensive coordinator somewhere else where it's like, Hey, Brian, bring your offense. And he doesn't have all the Ryan day magnets on the board. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not saying he wouldn't be, but based on the way he talked about it, it makes me think, huh? 
maybe this really is not only the perfect situation potentially for Ohio State, but the perfect situation for Brian Hartline. Because he's not a doodler. He says he has more of a simplistic mind. And if it was create an offense from scratch yeah. at a new place, maybe that wouldn't be his thing. Now, Urban was one of the keys in the in the uh, the spread offense evolution. We know that. Urban was never a coordinator. Urban went from receivers coach to head coach because Urban had all those other things that you need to be. I don't know that Urban was like a, hey, let's drop thousands of plays. Maybe Heartline's more like Urban. You're a great recruiter. You set a standard for people. You're no BS. You demand excellence. People respond to you, and then you lead. And listen, I'll get someone else to doodle. But I do think the evolution of Brian Hartline as an offensive coordinator, Stephen, this might be the ideal situation for him because maybe he wouldn't have been as ready to go do it by himself. Yeah, there is two types of coaches, right? There's the X's and those guys, and there's there's the motivational type of guys. Urban Meyer is probably more the motivational guy, and you would call Ryan Day the X and those types types of guy. Having a situation where Brian Hart like still kind of gets to be the motivational guy, if that's the type of coach he is, while operating under an X and those guys platform, maybe it allows him to because you brought up Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer got to figure it out while coaching in the MAC. So it's almost non-consequential football that he's doing it. Brian Hartline has to figure it out in the Big Ten while trying to compete for a national championship every year. So put him in a situation where he can still be himself while operating with all the tools. It's almost, if you talked about this from a quarterback standpoint, C.J. Stroud in 2021, his job was to not get into Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave at Jackson Smith and Jenkins way. And when we all, when we really think about it from a simplistic state of mind, because all the things were there for him to succeed. It's the same thing for Brian Hartline while he figures out what he likes and what he doesn't like, what he wants to do as a play caller. As he develops more of the doodler side, right now he can just be the motivator who is operating a doodler's offense, which is fine because it's it's he has kind of hinted at the two times we talked about him. I don't have to do that much more. We have all these geniuses around here. I just have to execute it on game day. And you really think about Urban's success. His greatest success at Florida was when Dan Mullen was his offensive coordinator. His right-hand man super trusted Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen leaves after their second title, starts to get away from Urban at Florida. Greatest success at Ohio State brings in Tom Herman. Tom Herman's a doodler. Tom Herman's a schemer. Great success. Tom Herman leaves. It's Ed Warner and Tim Beck. Maybe those guys aren't quite the same way. Ohio State hits a bump. They don't get it back until they bring in another doodler in Ryan Day. So I do think Urban, as shorthand, 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 as a motivator leader coach, Needed a doodler running his offense. Now Ryan Day is a doodler who needs to do more head coach things, but he doesn't need another doodler necessarily. He can put it in the hands of somebody like Brian Hartline. So again, I think we saw, right? We You pair different strengths of people and all of a sudden it works. So Nathan, I do think the Kerry Combs thing is very apt because people, you have to remember how beloved Kerry Combs was. At Ohio State, when he was in that assistant coach role, people loved him and everybody in and outside of the building thought he was doing a great job. And then when he became a coordinator, it didn't work. I don't think that's going to happen with Brian Hartline. I didn't think it was going to happen with Kerry Combs. I don't think it's going to happen with Brian Hartline. But we have to bring it up, Nathan. And I think I think we have to at least acknowledge it. No, I, I don't think it's going to happen either because, again, there there's that safety net, right? Like, even if for some reason Ryan Day felt like he had to take back over the play calling duties, 
you've still got a great wide receiver coach there and not a lot changes. They would just shuffle some things around. Whereas when you, when your defensive coordinator isn't getting it done, especially if you're an offensive minded head coach, now you're just kind of left flat footed. And we saw what happened. Like that, it really got away in 2021. Um, by the way, I think they are probably scrubbing Steven's name from this, the distinguished alumni list at, the Kent State Stater right now for <laughs> non-consequential football. I also had a really funny uh, vision in my mind of like Brian Hartline getting the Notre Dame offensive coordinator job and then having coming in like Daniel Ellsberg in the Pentagon Papers, just like Xeroxing a bunch of plays or, or like taking a bunch of like f- photos like discreetly and like trying to sneak them out of the building like slowly over time or like, like, you know, like an Ocean's Eleven thing playing out. So I'm just going to put this out there because it just crossed my brain. Ed Warriner, the first year he was co-offensive coordinator for Ohio State, retained his offensive line coaching duties. And then the next year, they brought in Greg Studrawa, they moved Tim Hinton to a staffer role, and they made Ed Warner the tight ends coach. Kevin Warren, Kevin Warren, Kevin Wilson was the tight ends coach here. Receivers coach is pretty important and kind of a lot going on there, and so is offensive coordinator. I will put the first alert down of 2024, Keenan Bailey's the receivers coach, and Brian Hartline's a tight ends coach. Um, well, I was going to say maybe it's more likely that when the if, if they allow the staffs to expand, that you would just yeah. take that receivers coach away from Hart, not take it away from him, but give it to someone else to further free him up. And but not someone else. Not someone else. Yeah. No, no, well, no. Bailey. Yeah. Bailey. It'd be yeah, Bailey, yeah, and they'll just because Bailey was his was his QC, right. and then you would just yeah. bring in a tight ends coach from outside. Or basically, basically the basically the offensive version of oh James Laurinaitis is going to be the linebackers coach, and Jim Knowles is just going to be the overseer defensive coordinator. I, but I but can, even if they don't expand it, I mean they might have to do something. It's just a lot. It is a lot to coach a big expansive room and be in charge of calling the plays. It is much easier to coach a smaller room. And call the plays. Hey, I'm a quarterbacks coach. I got like four guys to worry about. I'm the tight ends coach. I got four guys to worry about. I'm the receivers coach. I have X slot and Z. I have 12 guys in there. I have second year guys worried about the freshmen. I have the freshmen who were not going to class. I got I got juniors worried about the NFL. I have I have an injury at X. I might have to move a Z. There's just a lot to it. Well, but to your point, we all know the expansion of staffs might be coming. But even without that, I wonder if they would make an adjustment. That would be an interesting adjustment because you're taking away a guy who is because Keenan Bailey's not like associated with a position. He's just a guy that they think is going to be a great assistant coach, and they wanted to get him, keep him on staff, and get him some more to to do. But but again, let's go back to the Kerry Combs example because I absolutely think that that was a factor in why that didn't work as well as it could have in 2020 and 2021, because he was still spending a lot of time coaching the secondary because they were short of guys. They were short of coaches on that side of the ball. So again, another thing to just kind of keep in the back of, of one's mind. I do think this though, this is a good year potentially for Hartline mm-hmm. to transition because you're not at all worried about the top of this room. Yeah. Like the, the top of this room is taken care of now next year, next spring is going to be fairly huge for for Everybody. that for that for that for that whole receiver room because you got the top layer is leaving so uh may, i i hear what you're saying it would just i think it would be a little bit odd to take a receiver uh and a receiver coach specifically of heartline's renown and 
take him off of that group and give him another group. It would make more sense if he could still be the offensive coordinator and dabble in that room while you had Bailey there. Yeah, that was, that was going to be my point. Cause if you look at other situations that have been like that, when Jeff Halfley took over, he was as defensive coordinator, he was also in charge of the cornerbacks, but the cornerbacks were returning guys who had played significant snaps in Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett and Sean Wade in that slot situation. Even when Jim Knowles came and took over last year, we'd seen Cody Simon, Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers spend a year getting a lot of experience. So because you weren't so worried about the top guys and who was actually going to be on the field, it wasn't as big of an issue. And now Brian Hartline's kind of in the same way. While with Kerry Combs, when he came in and took over, also taking over the cornerbacks room, it was kind of a mess, right? Seven Banks has been dealing with injuries. Cameron Brown was coming off of an Achilles tear. And so all of a sudden you're starting two freshmen. Denzel Burke. There wasn't that established top half of the room that you could rely on that he didn't have to spend nearly as much time because there's not experienced leaders who can lead your room. The other guys had the, those situations and they ended up having success. But the bottom line is, listen, you have to be aware of the fact if you're going to promote Brian Hartline and have him call the place, he might not be able to do his other job. He just might not. So then whether you expand the staff or not, you're going to have to take, I think you're going to have to take him out of that room. So the idea of like, oh, it'd be weird to make him the tight ends coach. If it's too much, which it was for Ed Warner, which it often is, if it's too much to have a full room, you've got to do what you got to do. Coaching tight ends is nothing. It's three guys. Kevin Wilson wasn't even the tight ends coach. He's the tight ends coach. It allows you to be the, but it's not being in charge of a full room all i'm saying is and it's one of those things i can't imagine brian hartline not being the receivers coach well you want to be a good offensive coordinator or not i don't know this is time there's only so many hours in the day man so i it's just i'm not saying for sure it's going to happen i just think it's something you have to think about there's one more thing i want to talk about before we go nathan i never cease to be amazed by your ability to be enamored with inane interview topics (laughs) with football players you every time harry miller back in the day talked about shakespeare or Watching monkeys in Costa Rica, you were like, oh, what a great interview that was. And you texted out today, Steel Chambers talking about which animals would win a fight on a desert island. All I know is if I had been at that table for that conversation, I would have started screaming inside the Woody. Well, where were you? (laughs) I was over having having like a in-depth life discussion yeah. with Xavier Johnson that people kept interrupting as we were talking about what it means to be a human in the world. So the, yeah, I wasn't Xavier talking Johnson about what a tear would be a tortoise. I thought yeah, Xavier all, Johnson almost a, brought a tear to my eye today. It was a, it was a question he asked. Cause us. I brought it out of him. Yeah. <laughs> but with steel, it was a question he asked but us. Why, why is that very, interesting? I thought it was a very Buckeye talk moment. I thought that was exactly the kind of, of, debate that we could have on an episode of Buckeye talk and we might need to, but I don't want to have it with players. I don't, I don't care what players think about who would win a fight between a Falcon and a tortoise. I'm just trying to pass along. I'm just trying to pass along that there's guys there who have more personality than others. And steel chambers is a guy that actually at one point last year, I thought he was kind of over it and well, wasn't especially um, enthused about doing media stuff and was, was getting a little cranky with us. And uh, the last couple of times you talked to him, it's been, a lot better. And I think that it just tells you a little bit about who, who these guys are. I was just passing along a light moment. You said Chambers might be the new must-sit interview. Got into a debate <laughs> with us about which four animals to bring along for a fight. His stealth crew, Elephant, Peregrine Falcon, Black Mamba, and Tiger. Were all the reporters chiming in about whether they think a Black Mamba would be the Tiger? Killed me. I was involved. I, was I can't even time, fathom it. There was definitely a back and forth that was happening. There. Oh, my God. 
Oh my god! Yes, that, I—that's my hell. That's it. When it, when I when it's over for me and all the terrible things I've done in my life, I'm gonna be with a crew of football writers discussing inane mean, things. It was at the end with, of the. It was at the end of the interview. By the way, it was like things had basically petered out at the end of the interview anyway. Thought, and he's just—it's just a light moment. It's just a guy having some fun, and I don't see any. You said oh, you said he started by saying he still had sand in my cheeks from the Buckeye cruise, but then the Falcon debate was not at the beginning. Also. No, that was just like as he was sitting down. Somebody had asked him about, hey, you get to go do the Buckeye Buckeye Cruise. Cruise. Yeah, because now you don't get to go do those things in the olden days. And he was like, oh, I still think I got sand in my cheeks. I'm just trying to pass along. There's guys who show up with a a, a fun attitude. Oh, man. Um, That's a lot of guys to talk to. We got some – I'm curious – what we learned from this bunch of receivers, which we'll do on Friday morning. Cause Steven, this is like this, this crew of guys. And it was like, are we going to get talked to them or not? And we got to talk to all of them except Caleb Burton, who Nathan, by the way, like is okay. It sounds like. Oh, I wouldn't say that the Brian Hartline just called him day to day and kind of said like, I don't know, like, you know, whatever day to day. So that's all. sometimes yeah. things that mean it's not anything. And it really is day to day. And sometimes it's, I don't want to tell you anything about an injury. For what it's worth, I mean, I spent I spent most of my time watching the quarterbacks, but when the quarterbacks were with the wide receiver receivers, I didn't necessarily see him in that drill. But then when we were walking out to do interviews later on, I did at least see him in the huddle. So he at least was at practice, even if I'm not sure if he was a full participant or not. So, but the we got all these other second year receivers, Stephen, and it's good, yeah. I think, because it's like if you give give us one, you have to give them all. So we'll talk about that on the Friday pod. But I know you were there a lot of them just for a tease. Do they sort of get like it's go time for them? Yeah, this is a very important summer, even if they know the payoff isn't for another 12 months. I think that's the best way to put it to tease it. Yeah. No, that'll be good. Then we'll talk about Marvin Harrison Jr. He's good at football. Uh, That'll be Friday morning. We'll delve deeply into this receiver room. We'll do something, I think, with the linebackers next week. Uh, But for now, we want to make sure we covered new offensive coordinator Brian Hartline at Ohio State. Go read all of our stuff. Man, no practice next week. They're off for spring break, but we have loads of stuff to write. So this is a good time for you guys to make sure you have cleveland.com slash OSU bookmarked so you can be going back. And you're not going to be burdened by having to worry about Ohio State and the NCAA tournament. So you have plenty of time to read about Ohio State football stuff. So, also, by the way, I know Ohio State basketball won They're on Wednesday uh, yeah, night. The Big Ten Network, the insistence of it being an absolute PR machine. It, they made Ohio State sound like the greatest 5-15 and 15 team in the history yeah. of the – can you relax? Can we acknowledge – because here's the thing that I don't like. I don't like people who cover a team for the coaches and the players. You're supposed to cover a team for the fans. And the listeners. And can you have a real conversation about a team that they, they, everything about five and 15 Ohio State's basketball season was like, yeah, they were five and 15, but that's not the order of, of the discussion. The discussion is they were five and 15 in the Big Ten. That's unacceptable. It's ridiculous. They probably have too much talent for that to have ever have happened. And then maybe they were good at the end of the year. They're talking about Sean McNeil's postseason experience and how valuable it is for Ohio State. The five and fifteen, they're not going to have a postseason. Oh, to help them beat Wisconsin in the playing game, man. This one, like, it's when you're when the network owns the league. It's the same league that refuses to do 
a, a, a freaking preseason poll. They could not have referenced. They could not have referenced the preseason predictions in Big Ten basketball more times than they did. Oh, pick to finish 13th. Oh, pick to finish 6th or whatever. You know why? Because Adam Jardy and Brendan Quinn do a freaking poll, just like we do the poll in football, because the league abandoned it a decade ago. My God. It's not a PR network. I know it's the Big Ten network. It's why you can't – sometimes you can't listen to that stuff, man. There are good people there, but they, they can't be real sometimes because they're not allowed to be because you're the Big Ten network, and everything is – a positive spin on the worst Ohio State basketball season in 25 years. So I, I was nauseated by the way they were talking about the good win. Bruce Thornton's a good player. Root for those young guys. They're de- they dealt with a tough year. But come on, man. Don't, don't insult your audience of passionate Ohio State fans by acting like 5-15 and 15 didn't happen, Stephen. It was a little speed bump on the way to a, to a great Wednesday win in the oh, tournament. Sorry. It's a joke. Five and fifteen is not a speed bump. That is that is a highway to hell. And I mean, they're five the and fifteen. But, but the thing is, like this, you can't talk that way when the team you're trying to talk up like that is in the middle of blowing a twenty point lead and about to lose the game. You can't. It's it. Right. You can't have it both ways. They had a they had a bad season and good win. You get hot at the right time, but. I don't. Nobody walked away from that thinking. Oh, this team is going to make a run to Sunday. And if you are thinking that way, hot you need the right time. The time to get hot is February. It is not is hot true. at the right time. This is hot they're, at the worst time. It's yeah, they're, yeah. They're just having a little moment. If you still, if you think that, if you watch that game on Wednesday night and thought this team may make it to Sunday, you need to reevaluate your priorities a little bit because that's not happening. It's, it's, just be like, be real. God, be real. Just talk about sports in a real way. Don't insult your audience. Educate your audience. God. That was as bad as uh, Nathan it aggravated me as much as I'd been ad- aggravated by a broadcast in a, in a long time. And, uh, and I've just, over the years, I've just, I just, there are enough times, I just know for a fact there are times when, when the league is owned by the network, like you can't always say what you want to say. It's just real life, Nathan. That's, I mean, but I hope, but the listeners have to understand that, that there is, and it's not, it's just the structure. And as much as like people get mad at ESPN and that kind of thing, you should be insulted by a network force feeding you PR when you're trying to watch a basketball game and get educated about your team. Yeah, I, I get it. They have some good young players. I get it. It's unacceptable what that team did this year. Yeah. And I, th- I think furthermore, like even just framing winning a first night game at the Big Ten tournament as if it's an accomplishment, like you're playing another bad team. In the first round of this thing, like it wasn't like you. It's one thing if you went five and fifteen and then made a run and got to Sunday. That's happened a couple times. Like there've been teams who were like the last or next to last seed in this thing that got pretty deep in it on some weird runs. I think Illinois had one one year. Um, but like you showed up and you beat another team that struggled all year that that was ready to be done with its season. You won that game. All right, pat on pat on the back. It was a tw- it was a twelve and thirteen game that was literally the first game of the tournament. That's listen. Yeah. Bruce Thornton might have a bright future. Bruce Thornton yeah. is is trying his butt off this year, and yeah. Felix Opara has a big upside. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Bryce Sensabaugh has a good mid range game, but let's let's talk about reality. Let's just talk about reality. Okay, rant over. We'll be back on Friday morning to talk about receivers. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon, right before Ohio State is starting its next game against Iowa. I'm sure Ohio State won by fifty. And be like, oh, little Doug. Oh, I got it off. I got my rant off in time. 
before Ohio State's <laughs> one thirteen to sixty three win over Fran McCaffrey. Oh my God! Even even Fran, as grumpy as I am, Fran McCaffrey is too grumpy for me. Mm. That is Iowa sports right now. That Iowa sports is the grumpiest man in college basketball and nepotism Nepotism. central. And by the way, our football team has to pay millions of dollars in a racial discrimination suit. That that is Iowa sports right now is unbelievable. That's a lot going on. I know that SID office has the biggest headache in the world right now having to deal with all that at the same time. I have a, uh, I've almost come to have a grudging respect for Fran McCaffrey because I've been around some coaches in my life, seen some from afar who have that level of like self-importance and uh, abandonment of self-control and uh, smarminess. Jim Beheim at Syracuse, someone I've always thought was a, a smarmy jerk uh, on his way out. Congratulations, Jim. But at least he like won a couple national championships along the way and like got to some final fours. Like Fran just jumped right over the like winning a bunch of games to make you feel like you deserved to be this much of a of a weirdo child at times, um, and just went right to it. And uh, so I guess you know cut out the middleman. I I, I I grudgingly appreciate it. I that your life as an Iowa fan is the McCaffreys and the Ferrances. <laughs> what mm. absolute dysfunction! Can you, if you lived in a house and the McCaffreys lived on one side and the Ferrances lived on the other, you'd be like, I have to move. It's not, they're not your neighbors. They're in charge of your football and basketball programs. Make it stop. Okay. Now that's too much ranting. That's too much ranting at the end. Come back on Friday morning. We'll talk about receivers. Cleveland.com slash OSU for a bunch of stories. 614-350-3315 to be a tech subscriber. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.